I think we view software websites as far too throwaway. And as a developer, it's super, super, super fun to build new stuff. We all yeah. love doing that. It's exciting. But content teams don't love transcribing all their content from one format to another. That's no fun for them. And, you know, marketing and brand teams like the opportunity to refresh, but there's a cost to the business. There's an overhead and a cost to doing all of that work. So, you know, we want to be trying to build stuff that benefits planet and businesses that, that love us. This episode is brought to you by Freemius. If you're stuck growing your WordPress product business, it's time to level up to Freemius. Freemius is a complete platform for WordPress product owners to sell, grow, and build a completely sustainable software business. You probably already know how competitive the WordPress ecosystem is these days. Building it and waiting for your customer is not an option. Freemius knows how hard it is for WordPress product founders to grow their business. They've developed the tools, the software, and most importantly, the content plus the community to help you get more sales. With a team of monetization experts, you're picking Freemius for success, not just for your product license keys and updates. If you need help growing your WordPress business, visit freemius.com. That's freemius.com. Thanks for supporting the show. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Matt Report podcast. Special guest today, Hannah Smith. Hannah, welcome to the program. Hello, Matt. Thanks for having me. It's very kind of you to invite me on to come and chat. You know what I forgot to put in my notes? What your What's title that? is, <laughs> what you wanted me to say, your Whoa. title, CEO, president, freelance, <laughs> genius. I don't know what it, like, you tell us what your title is. I'm president of Hannah Smith Incorporated. Um, no, I'm um, a freelance WordPress developer is generally how I introduce myself. Um, and depending on who the audience is, I might also tell them I'm a sustainable web consultant as well. And, and and at family holiday parties, you never tell anyone that you can fix a printer or like you know anything about code or anything like that. Oh my god! <laughs> exactly. I went to the framing shop to get some pictures framed yesterday, and we were chatting. And I said I'm a web developer, and they were like, "Oh, can you fix our WordPress site? We'll do all your framing for free." And I was like, "Oh god!" <laughs> Trust me, I, I've been remodeling. Uh, our bathrooms in our house, and, or not myself, but I've hired contractors, and uh, all of the contractors that walk through could use, one, a website, because there's a handful of them that don't, and two, the ones that do have websites, they're from, like, 1999, they severely need to be updated, but I guess in today's climate, uh, they don't really need it, though we're looking at a lot of market pressures lately where we don't really know where the market's going, and that's where I want to kind of kick things yeah. off as a freelancer, you know, the news, uh, the big headlines is costs are going up, inflation here in the U.S. anyway, uh, so much pressure on the markets, question mark. What about you as a freelancer? Have you started to hear any, you know, pullback from your own clients on budget or projects or scale or anything like that? Oh, it's a really good question. I mean, uh, you can probably tell from my accent, I'm in the U.K. Uh, we have cost of living increases here. Um no, I mean, at the moment, I would say the demand for my skills from my current clients is the same. And I mean, I get a lot of inquiries. And I definitely say since the pandemic started, what, two, two or so years ago, I'd say that, that that has increased and steadily increased, even, you know, now. Has there been a demand more for e-commerce that you've seen people knocking on your door saying, hey, we need to set up shop online, or are we talking like more marketing sites, that kind of thing? So I'd say definitely through the pandemic, what I saw was more e-commerce, 
I also saw a lot of people go, oh, I've suddenly got time for this side project or this pet. And I got a lot of requests for that kind of stuff. Um, more recently, I'd say I think the whole market is suffering from finding good, experienced freelancers. So I'd say at the moment, probably since Christmas, since the pandemic has eased off, certainly here in the UK, I'd say that it's general business, general SMEs wanting to do their marketing sites. From the you know, perspective of WordPress, uh, the evolution of WordPress over the last couple of years, Gutenberg has certainly gotten better. <clears throat> it's debatable, yeah. I know, in, in some crowds. <laughs> yeah. um, how has that landed with you and, and your clients? Are we at a point now where... You know, you're like, hey, uh, client, uh, go ahead and, you know, start modifying blocks and layouts with Gutenberg. How has that settled with with you and your clients and how you approach building sites? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm i an advocate for Gutenberg. I like it. Um, I wasn't too sure about it the very first time I played with it. But as you rightly point out, it's improved massively. And I think it's a good tool. And I certainly think it's a massive step up from building ACF heavy layouts or even perhaps using some of the more proprietary page builders. So I'm a huge fan of Gutenberg. I've also done a full site editing site and released that into production. It's a relatively simple marketing site, but um, I'm a, I, I like the direction it's going in, actually. Yeah, I agree. I, I think it's I, good. I'm moderately happy <laughs> with like where it goes, where it's going. <laughs> yeah. I still struggle to drag and drop blocks within columns. Uh, you know, you know that that really frustrates me. Um, yeah. FSE full site editing, of course, is still early early days. Uh, we hope to make that better with the theme that you've deployed for customers. Do you let them? Do you give them the keys and the access, or do you really lock it down so they don't break anything? So the particular client that I launched my e-site uh, with, um, she's, um, she's a designer and we've worked together for quite a few years. So she does the design and the content for the, for the client themselves. So she's a trusted party, technical, and so she does need help. She's, she's not going to do anything mad. And she mm. also knows how to use a staging site as well. So, you know, I say to her, something new, test it on the staging site, see how you get on. If you've got problems, give me a shout and I'm I'm happy to help. And mm. um, so in this one instance, yeah, I mean I've given her the keys to the kingdom and yeah. um they're far so good. Nice. There's um <laughs> the, you know there's I'm not a developer but I I've worked with developers for over twenty years at this point and they are very much like, let me just write the code myself. I'll do it. I don't need a page builder. I don't need Gutenberg. I don't need Elementor. I don't need any of that stuff. I'll write the theme files. A lot of this comes down to, well, whatever, their preferred process, but also uh, speed and performance. Later on in this interview, I, I do want to talk about uh, speed and performance because you have a, an eye and an ear and a desire for uh, sustainability with web mm. development and web services. Let's just talk about speed for a moment. That may bring us into sustainability and how that affects everything. Um, Gutenberg, full site editing, performance-wise, have you seen anything different uh, when it loads sites? I mean, everything I see on the web, everybody says it loads pretty fast. Uh, is there any kind of efficiency gap with Gutenberg or full site? I mean, I'm generally... I think the thing that frustrates me most about Gutenberg is the lack of image source set output. That's, that, that's my, my massive performance bugbear. 
But in terms of sort of the amount of CSS, well, it doesn't really load a lot of JavaScript on the front end, but the, the CSS, I'm pretty happy with it. It's a pretty small file. Um, and I think in terms of the time and effort it would take for a dev to set up these kinds of systems versus, you know, what the client can do for themselves, I think it's on balance a good performing uh, tool. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, if you're aiming for your 100 out of 100 on Lighthouse, you're probably going to want to optimize a little bit of it. But You probably just want to use a static HTML file. <laughs> You'll never get um, it. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, I mean, you can, but it's yeah, yeah. tough. Yeah. Um, and it's diminishing returns. But if you're looking yeah. for a solid 70 or 80, I think Gutenberg's really quite good, as long as you pay attention to your images and don't go nuts with video. Yeah, because um, over the course of the many years with the rise of page builders, be it Elementor, uh, Beaver Builder, Site Origin, Divi, Visual Composer, like if we think back to the, you know, the the many years that we've been using these tools to build WordPress sites, the typical response is, I don't need all that bloated stuff. I don't need all that extra code. I don't need a thousand Google fonts loaded or JavaScript files. All this stuff that comes with the ease of use, but now it's this technical debt that layers on top mm. of uh, an element or, or whatever. And, and, you know, I'm not saying that they're bad anymore. I'm just saying that was the, that was the running, um, you know, point your finger at these tools. We don't want to use this. You and I, we spoke in our uh, pre-interview about sustainability and efficiency of websites. And I think we joked at one point, like, you know, uh, if, if WebP went into WordPress core, suddenly servers around the world would have to render all these f files and squish them and compress them and do all this stuff. We'd have this massive spike of CPU usage, but then it would dip and then we'd have a more efficient running websites. Talk to yeah. us about uh, sustainability and how you see that play out in WordPress. It's an interesting one. I mean, I think it depends what definition of sustainability you're using. Um, and that can be, I mean, it can mean really different things to different people. The, 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 the way I view sustainability is basically um, ensuring that you're meeting today's needs while not taking away from someone in the future. And I think you can also play that backwards and say you're also not... Um, the word disadvantaging people that did things seven or eight years ago and forcing them to, to change their ways. So a lot of that comes down to backwards compatibility with WordPress. It's one of the big, the big ticket items when you're talking about sustainability. Make it clear, it's not everything, but it's a big ticket item for it. And I think, you know, I really applaud the WordPress community for the way it thinks about past users and the way it thinks about backwards compatibility there is a tension. You see, the WebP one was a good one. Uh, I don't think that's going to go into core now. I think they realize actually there's, there's so many implications for this. We're not going to go there. I really applaud the WordPress community for the amount of time and effort it thinks about backwards compatibility. Um, yeah, I, I love that. And I think in that respect, WordPress does quite well. And, you know, I can point my finger at a number of WordPress sites that were built by other people seven or eight years ago that I manage and maintain today and they still work. They're not beautiful, but they do work and they yeah. do the job for people. And I love that about WordPress. I think that's brilliant. Yeah. There's a sticking point. I think there's some folks who are like, oh God, why do we have to continue to use, I don't know, whatever, X, Y, Z, or why do we have to continue to support this? Why is Hello Dolly still loaded in every website? Now, I don't even know if it is anymore. Is it still there? I don't, I'm not really sure. Uh, be. It's been a while since <laughs> I've installed a fresh install of WordPress myself. Yeah. Um, 
you know, there's all of these things, but it does, you know, sort of aid to, you know, whatever, the growth of WordPress, like we're talking about here, sustainability of, you know, caring for who's next in line. Something that I think a lot of people forget in the freelance world when they're dealing with clients and they're like proposing to um, bigger businesses this website isn't just for the now. I think when big businesses or even medium-sized businesses come to you, they come to you for, hey, we're buying this website now, but this is for, we're like looking at this for like three, four, five years. This isn't something that we're, you know, just going to flip next year and just do it all over again like a freelancer might do. This is for impacting the brand or the organization for many years and many people across that, um, across that spectrum. Yeah, there was no question there. It was just a soapbox moment. Like no, 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 but that's cool. I, I'm on that soapbox with you. I, you know, I think we view software websites as far too throwaway. And as a developer, it's super, super, super fun to build new stuff. We all yeah. love doing that. It, you know, it, it, you know, it, it, I don't know, it kind of, it's exciting. But content teams don't love transcribing all their content from one format to another. Um, that's no fun for them. And, you know, marketing and brand teams like the opportunity to refresh, but there's a cost to the business um, that, you know, there's an overhead and a cost for doing all of that work. So, you know, we want to be trying to build stuff that benefits planet and businesses that, that not, I think. The, at the bottom of your website, I'm going to spell out your website domain. Is it, how do you say it? Is it opcan? Is that how you say it? That's right. Yeah. Okay. Very good. Yeah. <laughs> I just want to make sure I didn't was wasn't it was an oh, opcan. No. <laughs> uh, opcan.co.uk. O p c a n. Co.uk. If you want to check out Hannah's website, at the bottom of the website, I can click a link that says "Emissions." Check my site. I can basically check the emissions uh, yeah. of your of your website. It says, "Hurrah! This website or web page is cleaner than eighty six percent of the web. Only point nineteen grams of CO two is produced every time someone visits this web page." Talk about sustainability in that sense. Is there even a measurable way to say, like, does does anyone ever come to you and say, I want to have 0.18 grams of CO2 with my website. (laughs) Can you build it that way? Is there even a way to measure that? Or how do you approach this environmental side of it? Yeah. Yeah. So we're getting onto the environmental side. And a lot of people, you know, coming back to my earlier point about how you determine what sustainability means to you. So a lot of people, this what we're about to talk to, that's what sustainability means. And as we know, digital tech uses energy or electricity to run, you know, to turn it on for us to load something or create something, we're using electricity. And a really easy way of measuring how much a website or a digital application is is doing, you can basically measure it through the proxy of how much data you're sending from A to B. And that can be a really simple proxy. So if you load a website and it's eight megabytes, that would be bad day. Um, But that's going to burn significantly more energy than a website that's loading in one meg, half a meg, um, if you're you're really fine-tuning stuff. So, you know, the really easy way of measuring is looking at how much data you're sending over the wire to make a page load. And yes, I do get clients coming to me saying, you know, can we build a client-friendly website? And I'm like, yeah. But can you design a client-friendly website? And a lot of the weight will come from the design and the functionality. As a developer, yeah, I mean, I can make it performant, of course, but I can't make an auto-playing video performant. There is nothing (laughs) I can do to help you in that circumstance. And if you want, you know, five full 
full-width um, images on your page, there's also not only going to be so much I can do to help you mm. yeah, lazy load it, compress it, but that's still going to be a significant file size. So somebody that wants a low-carbon website, which is, which is how people talk about it, is basically asking for a performant website or a website that's loading with a small amount of data. And it's got to be a collaborative effort. Yeah. Can't wave a magic dev wand and go, yeah. <laughs> uh, you've got to think about your content yeah. and, and your design. And I, I'd imagine that's particularly challenging with, let's say, e-commerce sites, because if you just think of your standard product page, I know everyone says sliders are dead, but they're not for e-commerce because I feel like every time I go to buy something, I'm sliding through it. I'm like, boy, sliders are not dead. And not, I mean, not for me. I'm looking at a new no. pair of Nikes the other day, and I'm like going through all these photos, and I was like, wow, this is, I'm just thinking about all the, the how sliders are still, uh, still important. But anyway, the point is, e-commerce, not only do you have a lot of images, uh, whatever data, you have the e-commerce functionality. Lots of these sites are jam-packing this stuff with mm. trackers, JavaScript, analytics tools. If you use Brave Browser like I do, I'll, I'll go to a Nike site and like the little Brave icon will say 32 trackers blocked. And I'm like, <laughs> Jesus, I mean, what are you guys doing? Like, uh, And that must be particularly challenging in the e-commerce world. Is there any, do you have any clients that you work with e-commerce wise that think, hey, we want to sell stuff, but be good to the earth too? Or do you know any movements like that in our space? Yeah, so I mean, I could say that the movements in that space, I'm not working with any e-commerce clients at the moment. I do have clients that their marketing sell, their marketing sites are for sale and they, they form a, a, you know, a, um, what's the word, like a, a funnel for selling software. Um, so I have a couple of clients that do that. And yes, analytics, oh my gosh, it's a constant tension all the time. They want to track, they want to know what's going on. And I'm like, how often are you using this data? Are you even looking at it? Is it telling you anything new or useful? Um, can we turn it off, please? <laughs> um, so what I tend to say to people is turn your analytics data on for a short time. Say you want to check something. Turn it on for a month, three weeks, your data, and then turn it off again until you actually have a question that you need to answer. And that requires people, A, to plan ahead and B, slow down a little bit, mm. which is an interesting tension in the tech world where we want everything now. Yeah. Um, anyway, I'm digressing. I'm getting on my soapbox. Um, you asked me about trends within e-commerce. Anyone focusing on sustainability. I know there's a lot of people going crypto and e-commerce, which is not saving the planet. Uh, so <laughs> is there, is there anyone, anyone doing saving the planet yet trying to sell products? Well, I mean, it's an interesting one. I have, I have views on this. So what a lot of e-commerce companies are doing are selling or planting trees when people buy things. And essentially what that's doing is offsetting um, emissions. And offset can be a bit of a tricky area. You're stealing my next question. I was going to ask ah, you about that. Do you want to ask me the question? And I, know, then I was just going to say, do you have any thoughts on carbon <laughs> offset? <laughs> yeah, okay, cool. Yeah, I mean, I have lots of them. Um, the thing with carbon offsets is that they're basically you are paying to offload your emissions onto somebody else. And the problem is, is that where we are with climate change, we can't afford to be doing that any longer. We have to actually ourselves be making reductions. So offsets are kind of offloading a problem onto someone else. And if that's all that somebody's doing and they're claiming to be green, I, I, I would ask them some more questions, really. Mm. I think that that's dangerously, it's getting into the territory of greenwashing. 
And sometimes that can be intentional. Sometimes that can be just honestly through a lack of awareness and a lack of knowledge about other things that you can do. But either way, it's still potentially greenwashing. So if an e-commerce site, the only thing they're doing is offset, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not comfortable with that. Mm. But if they're doing things like donating some of their profits to charity, if they are um, running social schemes such as to build up skills in other areas, if they're bringing interns in, you know, to, to train people up, if they're looking at their fulfillment processes, if they're looking at their production processes, if they're looking at their recycling practices, that's a bit more about sustainability. And of course, if they're thinking about performance sites, right. I mean, you do get quite a lot of sites that talk about how green they are yeah, and or companies that talk about how green they are. And then you run that fight through a carbon checker. And okay, <laughs> they need some education here. I glossed over the fact that when we were talking about WebP, like, you know, if people don't know, servers have electricity, servers that host your website, there's electricity, there's processors, there's memory, there's storage, there's networks, there's all of this stuff being burned every time the CPU cycles, right? Every time you click something, there's a little bit extra burned in the earth. Uh, well, that's kind of drastic, but there's a little bit of energy burned. Yeah, but it, uh, throughout. Is, it is true. Right, yeah, it's true. I, I think it's fair to say that, yeah. Are, are there like uh, web hosting companies or or I guess cloud hosting companies that, that have a focus on limiting their the impact or guides to say this is the most efficient way to code to not use so much CPU or bandwidth? Yeah, so this is interesting. So, yeah, there's a couple of different ways you can look at it. Yes, there are. There's there's an increasing amount of guidance out there for coding performantly or optimizing your code. And, uh, you know, it's not a new thing to do that. that that's a school of thought and a kind of uh, sub-industry that's been around for a long time. What is new and what is emerging that's different is green uh, software engineering or um, sustainable software engineering. And that's a little more holistic. So that's kind of looking more at things like if you've got server load, when can you get that server to, uh, what's the word, compute its load? So say, for example, with analytics. Analytics, there's a lot of processing going on to summarize your data, et cetera. Green software engineering is looking at doing is saying, okay, well, if we look at the carbon intensity of the grid, can we process those tasks on a day where we're using more renewables on the grid? And so therefore, rather than burning fossil fuels to run this, uh, these tasks, can we use renewables instead? Hmm. Now, that's a very interesting new school of thinking. To be honest, I'm not sure how relevant it is to the average WordPress theme developer, perhaps. Um, but it may be more relevant to plugin developers or agencies who are perhaps hosting or performing a lot of these kinds of tasks for customers, clients. Mm. Um, and so I would recommend if people are interested in learning more about that, then have a look at the Green Software Foundation. Um, they actually, I'm not sure, Matt, when we're going to get this podcast out, but I think on the 6th to the 17th of June, there is like a global Green Software Foundation festival happening. Nice. with events all across the world that people can go into for free nice. and learn more about this topic. I like that concept uh, of of like only using these cycles of a of a compute 
to uh, off the re- the renewed energy, right? The stuff that might be solar mm-hmm. or wind or stored anyway. Um, that's really cool. I'd imagine that's pretty high level. That's like somebody like an Amazon or a Google could probably achieve that, that kind be. of thing. It would be awesome if you think back to the days of, of being a little kid where you have like the crank flashlight where you could like crank your <laughs> flashlight. Like this is every day I got to wake up and crank my WordPress site. I'd do it, right? Like if, if I could get a discount and, and save the world, I would do that too. Um, like that's really cool. I love that. Um, you know, and, yeah. and I, I think that, yeah, I mean, that's all fantastic stuff. Is I, I know this is a, this is a bit of a grenade, tossing a grenade to you, but is there a WordPress host that you recommend or do you kind of stay away from recommending WordPress hosts that... I mean, in, in the yeah, it's it's a it's a tough one. I think a lot of the big players, the global big players, have a bit of catching up to do on this. Um, in the UK, I would definitely recommend Crystal Hosting, Crystal with a K R Y S T A L. They run all of their hosting on renewables, but not only that, they've also got good internal sustainability policies. Like you can tell that. Sustainability and climate change is something that they think about throughout their business, not just in their marketing, um, which is why I have, you know, no hesitation to, to recommend them. They do managed WordPress hosting. They do like VPS type stuff or, you know, basic dead hosting packages. And I've used all of them. Their support's good. So, cool. But in America, I'm not sure who I would suggest. Maybe Kowalo, I think, if they're in the U.S. as well. They come up time and time again. I think they might have a U.S. presence. Listen, I totally understand if you don't want to make a commitment to a U.S. base. Uh, <laughs> so it's a very political answer, and you one day will run for office. Um, <laughs> let's talk about the decoupling. Uh, you know, th- this is something that I'm not well versed in. I've obviously had folks on the on the show talk about this before, uh, but like headless WordPress, uh, decoupling WordPress from the back uh, from the back into the front end. Uh, is any of this? Have you seen any of that sort of technology that I, I hate to say the word trend, but have you seen any of that trend be better for focusing on sustainability or are we just like replacing one compute load for it? Yeah, I think I've, I've got to be honest, the headless stuff is stuff I'm aware of. I understand the concepts. I've never actually developed in that, that way myself. My understanding is so that you're not generally producing static sites off the back of that, you're producing very JavaScript-heavy sites. And yeah, so the, I'm not, I've not yet seen much in the way of evidence that tells me that that is significantly better mm. for sustainability. It's kind of, well, it's another way of doing things. You can do it well, you can do it badly. You know, it's, it's a tool that can be wielded, you know, well or not. It, it's the static, generation of static sites where that becomes really interesting for sustainability. I should have asked this in the in the first half of the show, but is this focus of yours? Is this the the preferred you know niche or vertical that you excel with for your freelance stuff? Like, is this how you're finding most of your of your clients and your work because you you have a, a passion to focus on sustainability for web technologies? Is that your your have you cornered the market, basically, is what I'm getting at. <laughs> because you're the first one I've come across, a freelancer, that has really yeah. had this heavy focus on this. And I would say that any, my God, any anyone in the industry who's like, we need to focus on this too, Hannah Smith is the one that we go to. Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting one. It's really funny, but if you go to my website, I don't talk about it much. Um, the way I get my clients is by being a good freelancer, is by providing a service where I communicate to people, where I have their best interest at heart, where I turn up 
that's an important one. Freelancers sometimes forget to do that. Um, you know, where send I send an email, <laughs> send an email, tell them what's going on. Um, you know, I tend to do those things, and I think I probably get the majority of my clients through that reputation because I've been doing this now for seven years. So, you know, and I'm female, so there's not many females there as well on top of that. But I think where I do get a lot of inquiries from is because I will go and talk about this topic at any community group, or I'm very happy to come on podcasts and raise awareness at it and talk at conferences. And I think that that is also a way that, that I'm gathering a lot of work too. Um, but yeah, if my portfolio could be 100% sustainable web stuff, yeah, yes, please. Yeah. That would be cool. Yeah, it's close to it. It's not quite 100% yet. Let's give uh, the listeners, the freelancers that are out there, uh, one of your best pieces of advice for showing up. Like, what does that mean to you? And what have you seen freelancers not doing <laughs> that they have mm. to fix? Uh, for me, you know, again, redoing my bathrooms, these contractors, you don't hear from them for like two weeks. And you're like, Wait, what's happening here, people? <laughs> like, I got this yeah. empty bathroom. Where are you? Uh, is that what you're looking at when you, when you see other freelancers? Or is there something else? I think, I mean, I think that good communication is what will set any freelancer apart you do obviously need a certain level of technical skill and a certain level of technical knowledge so let's not overlook that but when you get to a certain level where most stuff you're comfortable with what sets you apart is the communication is saying to the client right i've got you booked in for next wednesday in the morning and either you turn up at that time or you tell them way in advance hey i'm really sorry something's come up and it's going to be next friday instead but that's something I just try and minimize as much as possible is shifting the time around that I say I'll turn up for a client. Um, I think that drives people nuts. I know I'm renovating my own house. It drives me nuts <laughs> when builders, you know, oh, yeah. just don't turn up or yeah. sorry, you know, two hours before they're due to come. Sorry, can't come. Yeah. Um, so I think, yeah, I mean, for any freelancer, go and renovate a house. See how it feels. And then don't be like that. <laughs> yes, that's 100%. That's 100% it. Um, and actually, yeah. I just, on top of that, because I was having a chat with a friend of mine the, uh, earlier this week on this topic, and freelancers, you must bill and expect to bill your client for communicating with them. It's part of your job to tell them what's going on, what your updates are, when you're going to work. And that is okay to include that within as reasonable hours for doing your job. And I think maybe a lot of freelancers don't think they can bill for that time and then don't. And then it becomes, because you've got pressures from elsewhere, they don't do it. So if it helps build for that time, it makes you more likely for you to do it because that's what clients want and they value. Uh, I remember when I started my agency, I was just building for the you know design development. And then yeah. like six months into it, I'm like, man, I'm doing a lot of project management stuff here. <laughs> like this, this is a lot more than I thought. And then I was like, Oh, I guess I should start billing for this, and then I did the fool. <laughs> I, I did the foolish thing of like line iteming project management, and I was like, "Oh boy!" Uh, I started getting into those conversations, like, "Well, how many hours yeah. does it take you to manage?" I'm like, "Oh boy, this is." I learned that lesson real quick, and now it's just baked. Yeah, into yeah. The, it was just baked into the project fee, like you don't even see it anymore. Um, but yeah, those Definitely. things, yeah, those things can creep up on you, especially if you don't think you know that uh, that you should be billing for it, like the communication time, like the freelancing time, or like the project management time. It doesn't come immediately. So if this is you listening to it right now, and you're like, "Boy, I, I should be charging for communications," just think back. 
what your average communication time is for a customer, the last, you know, half a dozen customers you've worked with, and maybe start with that. Say, this is what I, I've spent 12 hours communicating, emails, base camps, slacks, all this stuff, and build in 12 hours into your next project when you bid it uh, and see what, it, see how it works. I bet you'll still land the deal. <laughs> I, bet I bet you'll you still will. land the project. <laughs> I, go, I kind of go for about a third of my time. It's maybe quite heavy, but a lot of the clients that I'm working with need to collaborate on what they're asking for as well. Yeah. Very few of my clients ever go, I want X. Right. And what X is makes perfect sense. Very rarely does. It's like, okay, have you thought about mobile? Have you thought about this? What about this? What about yeah. this circumstance? We yeah. could do it this way instead. And that's expertise that I'm giving to the client. And, you know, they value that. And, and that, that's my service. Yeah. And hopefully everybody else's service too. Um, you know, that you're, you know, we're all valuing those communication skills. I'm going to bring another bathroom remodeling uh, <laughs> analogy back <laughs> <Bring> in. <it. laughs> but I was talking, so, uh, you know, whatever, that we ran into the situation where, I don't know, the, we thought a certain size tub could fit and then, it, and, and it couldn't, it ended up, it ended up that we could, but in the moment when the contractor was like, this isn't going to fit, I was like, oh my God, I have to go find a whole nother tub. And he's just like, yeah, you just get it on, just order it on Amazon. What? <laughs> like, I have to research. I have to read reviews. <laughs> like, I have to do all this stuff, man. Like, I don't just go click and buy and then I'm done. Um, so there's tons of, of like value in having knowledge that you can share with a customer because there will be customers like me that I tell me the best way to do this. Tell me the best stuff that we can get to put this project together. I want to I want to know I, and I'll pay for it. Um, it's very valuable. And I think a lot of freelancers overlook that. I think they definitely do. I yeah. think I, I'm at risk of doing that. And then suddenly I sort of have a little moment talking to the client and they're like, oh, that's so helpful. I hadn't realized. And I'm like, oh, this is just implied knowledge to me now. But yeah. it's not to everybody else. Right. Cool. Right. Hannah Smith, everyone, you can go to her website n.co.uk. Hannah, anywhere else you want to send folks to say thanks? Um, if you're interested in like communication, not communication, we tell that again, if you're interested in climate and sustainability, um, I would really highly recommend you come and join us in the climateaction.tech community. It's a black community. It's full of wonderful people. If you have questions or you want to be around like-minded people, I would, you know, come and join us there. We need lots of people, lots of different voices from different you know, um, different disciplines to come come and join in the conversation. And the website for that one more time is? Climateaction.com. Awesome stuff, everyone else. It's MattReport.com, MattReport.com slash subscribe to join the mailing list. Number one way to stay connected. And we'll see you in the next episode.